Awesome. Thanks so much, Pastor John. So good to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for coming out and worshiping with us. Let's go to Revelation 17 as we continue our journey through this incredible book. As we've been going through Revelation, like me, you've probably been struck by the language, the imagery, the pictures that John has been given from dragons to beasts uh, to bowls of judgment like we read about last week. Right, and Revelation, it, it is just filled with vivid details that stir our imagination. And that's what apocalyptic writing does. It uses symbols and metaphors, uh, pictures to describe in just powerful ways who God is, who our enemy is, who we are. Right? And these wild images that we've been reading about, right, they're, they're meant to strike us and move us to a greater awe of God but also to make us more aware of the world that we live in. That's what seeing powerful images and pictures and scenes do. Right, think about the, the, the Eddie competition last month. Right, you could have heard about uh, the large waves, right, the 50, the 60-foot waves, uh, but it's a whole different experience right, if you went down there to the North Shore and watching those waves yourself crashing onto the shore like avalanches. It's a much different picture, right? You could feel the power of the waves, and, and hear its thunder as it hits the sand. You could also, you know, just be in awe of how awesome God's creation is. But also seeing those waves, we become aware that, all right, it's dangerous. Right? I shouldn't go out there in the water if I don't know what I'm doing. See, seeing these images has a stronger effect than just reading about it. And John sees, right, in, in Revelation, these powerful and graphic images and, and scenes that capture his attention and just leave him amazed. But John's also warned that what he sees is dangerous and deadly, but he doesn't need to fear. What John learns from these visions that we're going to be read about, that we're reading about, is meant for, for him, but also for the churches that he was writing 2,000 years ago. But it's also meant for us to know about. So let's dive in. Let's see what messages are in store for us in chapter 17. Let's start with verse 1. It reads, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Then he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything detestable, with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Pause right there. Right? What a wild vision that John 
sees. Right? And the angel tells John, basically, let me show you the one who's leading people away from God. And the angel calls her a prostitute. This woman is identified as Babylon the Great, which was written on her forehead. John hears about this woman in chapter 14, you probably remember, chapter 16, but it's in this chapter, chapter 17, that we're given even more detailed information about her. This woman represents Babylon. Babylon was a, a cold word used in John's day to describe Rome, the Roman Empire. Peter uses it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. But Babylon stands for more than just Rome. Babylon was a cold word that stood for just any society, any earthly kingdom that seeks to live outside of God's rule. They don't want God to be their king. That's, that's the kingdom of Babylon. They want their independence from God. Babylon first appears, you can read about this later, in Genesis 11, where the people living on earth at the time, they wanted to build a massive tower that reached the sky. They wanted to make a name for themselves instead of being God's representatives on the earth. Their building project was a physical representation of a society living apart from God's rule and worship. And their city was called Babylon. They wanted nothing to do with God. But they also sought Babylon to persecute anyone who worshipped God. In the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, during the Babylonian Empire, the king of Babylon forced everyone in the kingdom to worship a statue of himself. And anyone who refused to worship that statue would be put to death, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who God miraculously rescued. So the kingdom of Babylon represents, or Babylon represents a kingdom that is devoted to life outside of God's rule and is violent towards God's followers. So in John's day, it's the Roman Empire. But again, Babylon is not just one specific kingdom in history. But there have been Babylons throughout human history, all the way up even to Jesus' return. And we too, right now, feel the effects of Babylon in our own society, right? In a world that wants nothing to do with God's rule in their lives. So what does John learn about Babylon that's helpful for us as we go through this chapter? Well, here's the first thing that John sees and what we can learn is that she's appealing. Babylon is appealing, but deadly. Appealing, but deadly, right? She's described, or Babylon is described as a prostitute dressed in expensive clothing, right? She's dressed to impress. She's just decked out in Christian Dior type outfit, some Louis Vuitton accessories. She's got the fine jewelry, not the fake stuff. Gold, jewels, and pearls, right? She seemed to be so appealing, even to John himself, that we read in Revelation that he marveled. So the angel had to wake him up, right? He said, don't marvel. Don't be impressed. Yeah, she's appealing, right? And so much so that the kings of the earth and everyone under her rule give their hearts to her, but she's deadly, right? The kings of the earth and the people, they love their independence from God. They live for the pleasures and the power and the riches that Babylon offers, but don't be fooled by her. She's deadly, right? like a fish hook uh, that's covered in bait. That once you take the bait, you're caught and killed. Because John sees that she's holding a cup. Right? Even though she's decked out in this beautiful attire, she's holding a cup. 
and it's filled with every detestable thing. She's called the mother of prostitutes. Now, in the Bible, idolatry and unfaithfulness to God is is often described in marriage-type terms. So to be unfaithful to God is like committing uh, adultery. It's spiritual adultery with idols. The people of the world were giving their hearts and their allegiances to Babylon and what she promised. And those who resist her, those who speak out against her, are killed. Are killed. See, Babylon offers power and pleasure and wealth in which those things can be good gifts from God and used to worship God. But instead, the people make them into gods in and of themselves. To be loyal to Babylon is to push aside God from our hearts and to pursue money and possessions at all costs. It's to make, it's to make the pleasures of food and drink and travel and entertainment as the ultimate way to find satisfaction and joy instead of in Jesus. The way of Babylon is making life all about making a name for ourselves or for our family uh, so that we're respected and remembered in the community or respected and remembered in the workplace because of our success or influence instead of making God's name great. That's the allure of Babylon. And Jesus warns us in, in Mark 8, 36, where he says, what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life. See, Babylon promises the world, but in the end, you end up forfeiting your life. She's appealing, but she's deadly. Here's the second thing we need to know about Babylon. Babylon is powerful, but that power is temporary. Let's read on in verse 7. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you, that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has yet to come. And when he comes, he must remain for only a little while. The beast that was and is not is itself an eighth king, but it belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. So here we hear, here we read about a beast that the, that the woman Babylon is on. That beast is the same beast in Revelation 13, who Satan gave authority to rule. As we've been learning, this beast is not a literal beast, a literal creature, but represents human empires and earthly kingdoms that oppose God. So together with Babylon and the beast, they make up this alliance 
having power over the peoples of the earth. Now, the beast, as we've been reading right and repeating, is, is the one called uh, who was and is not and is about to come up. And this phrasing seems to try to imitate the beast. It's trying to imitate Jesus, right, who came to earth, who died, rose again from the dead, and ascended back to heaven. This beast has seven heads representing seven mountains, but they also represent seven kings. Now, if you were living in John's day, right, when you, th- when you heard about seven mountains, you'd immediately think of the Roman Empire. Roman's capital was built on seven hills. But here's the thing, is those seven heads not only represented, right, hills, but it also represented seven kings. Now, now, there were more than seven emperors in the history of the Roman Empire. So when we read about this number seven, right, we should read these numbers as symbolic as we have been. Seven representing that number of completion. So this seems to be speaking about right, the complete kings and rulers and kingdoms that are under the beast. Under the beast. These are beastly kingdoms. Now, the beast is a part of the seven and is also the eighth. Right, it's kind of confusing, the wording which it seems to mean that it will appear, this final beastly kingdom will appear at the end when Jesus returns and the beast will be defeated. We read about the ten horns on the beast that represents ten kings. This also, this number also is probably symbolic, representing the final kingly rulers at the end who will join the beast to fight against Jesus but will be defeated. This is the beast that the woman Babylon rides on, right? This world system, this society and kingdom that opposes God. Together, they look powerful. They look intimidating, almost appealing because of the influence and the strength that they have. But John makes it clear that their rule is short. That when these forces unite with the beast in the future, Right? They only have authority for an hour. In other words, it's a really, really short time that they're reigning in light of the eternal kingdom of God. They're going to be wiped out. It's temporary, this beastly kingdom. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world with its lust is passing away. It's temporary. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, the temptations of Babylon we face, the persecution and injustice that we see in the world that we experience personally, the abuse of authorities that runs rampant in governments and nations, everything that opposes the reign and rule of Jesus will quickly come to an end. That includes the temptations that you and I face, the temptations to join this world system, to chase after power and to chase after pleasure and riches that Babylon offers will come to an end. It's so short. And, you know, as followers of Jesus, like, we know this in our minds, that it's temporary. But it's so easy uh, to get caught up with chasing after them, even knowing that these temptations are short-lived. It's like getting caught up in playing the game of Monopoly, right? It's so easy to get caught up in making earning fake money from the game, getting property, houses and hotels for yourself. And, and it's, it's hard to remember, okay, this is just a game. Why am I getting so caught up in it? 
a while ago, my wife and I invited a, a couple that we're, we're getting to know over to our place, and uh, we decided to play a game, a fun game of Monopoly together. Uh, at first, it started well, like everyone was having fun, we're having a great time, good conversations, but after some time, it was just me and uh, the lady that was left, and, and we, were, we were playing against each other, and my competitive nature just, just kicked in. Hers too. Like, she got real focused, I got real focused, uh, I got excited about making money, getting property, or it felt so good to get those little plastic hotels and just start putting them on my property. And then I realized as we were playing, I was starting to get anxious and angry every time I'd lose money to her. Uh, and, and I was getting super emotional over it. But, of course, I couldn't show it. So here's the thing, right? So finally, at the very end of the game, she lands on one of my properties. And she's like, ah. Oh. And inside, I was so stoked. I was like, yes. Like, I won. I get all of this money. I have the monopoly. I own it all. I was so stoked. But then after, right after that, right, we started cleaning up. Everything started going back in the box. All the money got put away. All my hotels and homes got swept off the board. And then right after that, you know, I felt really bad. Like, I got so caught up, emotional, right, totally choosing to win the game over the whole purpose of just getting to know this couple better. Right, the, the, the things that we're tempted to chase after in this world, right, it doesn't last forever, right? It all, in the end, gets cleaned up and put away. But it's our lives with Jesus that last forever. It's temporary, right? The appeal and the temptation to Babylon, so temporary. Here's the last thing that we need to see with Babylon, is Babylon is influential, but she's going to be judged. Let's read verse 15. He also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute, where Babylon, was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beasts will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beasts until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. So John learns that the woman Babylon right, is seated over nations and, 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 and people. She has great influence. We're in Babylon, this world system that rejects God as king, has power over the kings of the earth. Her influence is, is global. Right? You can't escape the reach of Babylon because that desire to live independently from God is in every human heart since our first ancestors rejected God's rule. But for Babylon, the very people she had influence over will turn on her in the end because God put it in their heart. God uses evil to turn on itself. Right? He's sovereign over it all. She's influential, but she's going to be judged. So although we're not living under the Roman Empire like in John's day, the Babylon of John's day, right, we still feel and experience the influence of the Babylon of our day, right, which is to live independent from God, but living our own way and not God's way. Babylon's reach, it's, it's global, and we feel her influence even here on the islands. Jesus prayed for, uh, for his disciples. In John 17, verse 16 to 18, he prayed, They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Right? Jesus is not referring to the world, the earth, as you know, nature and trees and animals. He's referring to, when he's using this word world, to the society and system that is opposed to God as king, who are a part of the kingdom of Babylon and not of the kingdom of God. And as disciples, we are in the world, but we're not to live as citizens of the kingdom of Babylon, of this world. So how does that look like? Right? Because the people of Babylon, they live independent of God's good word, and they chase after power and wealth and pleasure the way that we should be chasing after and pursuing God. And we know that this way does not lead to life. So how do we live then in this world while not being caught up in it? Let me encourage us with three, three ways. First is this, is to remember your identity. In verse 14 in Revelation, in this chapter, Jesus defeats the beast and everyone aligned with him. But here's the amazing thing. It's God's people are included in that triumph. We are described in verse 14 as called and chosen ones. First Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, we've been called out of darkness. We've been rescued from the kingdom of Babylon, and we've been brought into the kingdom of Jesus through faith in him. We've been chosen by God to be his treasured possession. In Ephesians 1, it tells us that we're chosen and predestined to be adopted into his family as his children. We've been chosen to be his children, his child. See, when we give into the influences of Babylon, we forget that we are God's children and we have everything that we need. When we seek to have power or popularity and respect in our workplace or school because we think that's what makes us more valuable, we forget, right, that we have already been co-heirs with Christ, that we are already co-rulers with Christ, and that we will rule the new creation with him. Now that is real power and position when we run after sinful pleasures in dishonest ways, because we think that's the only way we can be happy. We're missing out on the satisfaction and joy that Jesus alone gives us. Jesus came to give life and life to the full. When we make life about gathering more possessions, owning more property, having a, 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 you know, just greater uh, bank account or portfolio because we feel that gives us ultimate security and value. We forget that God our Father, he owns the heavens and the earth. And he knows what his children need right now. So we don't need to worry. We can have rest in our souls. We were called into his kingdom and we've been chosen to be his children. Remember our identity. Second, it's to live as ambassadors. Live as God's ambassadors. Ambassadors are sent to foreign countries to represent their home country. Right? They're in another country, but they're not citizens of that country. And, and that is what we are. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, reflecting the love of Jesus to those who are citizens of Babylon, of this world. Back in John 17, Jesus prayed that, that he is sending his disciples into the world. Jesus came into the world to save sinners from judgment and to experience full life with him. And now we are sent 
as his ambassadors and to our families and to our neighborhoods and communities and schools and workplaces to share the love of Jesus and to share what Christ has done on the cross. And here's the thing, right? We're not alone as God's ambassadors. God has given us the church family, his family, to come alongside us in this great work. We have the opportunity to partner with one another to be ambassadors to the people in our lives. One way we can do that is to plan natural get-togethers that include Christians and non-Christians, right? This helps to keep us accountable from giving in to the temptations while also letting, letting our non-Christian friends experience other ambassadors of Christ. And we've got a great opportunity to be ambassadors this upcoming week, next week's Sunday. Right, next week after church, you're probably going to watch the Super Bowl for the game or watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. Uh, and maybe you've already invited some friends from church, some, some followers of Jesus to hang out with. Well, why not also invite your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, a work friend that doesn't know Jesus, and invite them together to enjoy the time together. Let's be looking for activities uh, and get-togethers where we can partner with other believers to represent the kingdom of God to those who don't know Jesus. Live as ambassadors. Finally, look forward to the end. Look forward to the end. This chapter in Revelation reminds us that when Jesus returns, he's going to do away with all evil, all suffering, all temptation. The temporary pains and challenges and heartaches we have now that seem like forever will come quickly to an end because Jesus triumphed over sin, Satan, and death on the cross. And through faith in him, we share in that triumph. He rose from the dead, showing us that suffering and death, it's not the end. It's a door leading us into his presence forever. So let's remind ourselves of these, these good truths as we are sent out by God into the world. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our conquering king, who defeated sin, Satan, and death. And we share in his triumph. Lord, you have sent us into the world not to be a part of the world, but to be your ambassadors. And we pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit as you send us out. And Lord, we would partner with one another, reflecting the love of Jesus to people who so desperately need it. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us, your grace that you have poured out that we would be called children of God. We pray now we would respond to your great grace through song. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.